Please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 16. As we continue our study of the spiritual biography of Abraham and Sarah, if there was anyone who should have been confident in his walk with the Lord, it would have been Abraham up to this point. The Lord had provided for him in Egypt, had enabled him to save Lot, his his nephew blessed him through his tithing of all he had to the high priest Melchizedek. And as if that was not enough, last week we saw that Almighty God cut a covenant with a human being, with Abraham, confirming the highest assurance that Abraham could possibly know that God's promise of an heir would come true. But impatience and doubt get the better of Sarah and Abraham. They decided to take matters into their own hands in this morning's passage. And as we read, the lesson learned here that I want you to hear is this. There is simply no substitute for God's will unfolding as he has intended for your life. We'll see that bear witness here in Genesis chapter 16. Join me in looking at God's word. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai Abram's wife took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Berlahoi Roy. It lies between Kaddish and Bered. 
And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Spirit of the living God, even as you sent an angel to look after Hagar, and you said to her, where have you come from and where are you going, already knowing the answer? Lord God, we have stopped along our journey, some of us running in the wrong direction, some of us lost in desert places and dry places. We don't bear to think about where we've come from and we have no idea where we're headed. So would you, Lord God, please grab a hold of our hearts right now and direct our steps and speak a word of encouragement and challenge to us in this hour that we have looking at your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back and let's look at the first words of this chapter, chapter 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Very few words. Very, very sparse use of language throughout this whole chapter, but it's packed with meaning. And we've considered the stigma attached to barrenness in her culture and indeed in many cultures today. That stigma can be quite severe. And, and Sarai feels it. Like many women feel it, a sense of, of judgment, a, a sense of being passed over. They're stigmatized. And, and the words here aren't simply Sarai pointing out the obvious that, that she's not uh, been given the ability to have children. There, there's a deeper meaning in, in just these few words that she seems to be blaming God in an accusatory, angry sense for her misfortune. Now, we haven't heard anything from Sarai, have we, throughout the whole story? She's been sort of passive. We haven't heard her voice up till this point, 10 years in the promised land. And something has been building inside of her up to this moment. And this is the moment in her life that Sarai decides to fix it. She's going to fix her problem. Something will answer all of her woes. Now, it might surprise you to learn that in Sarai's planning to take Hagar, her servant, and give uh, her to Abram as a substitute or a concubine, at that time, it was actually culturally acceptable, and it was legally permissible to do so. In fact, uh, in 1901, there was a great discovery, archaeological discovery, of the Code of Hammurabi, dating back two millennia B.C., that lays out the cultural and legal uh, status of exactly what uh, Sarai decides to do and Abram consents to and what happens with Hagar. Let me point this out to you. This was an Assyrian marriage code, and it stipulated that should a wife not be able to deliver a male child to her husband, and who could be held to that standard? I mean, <laughs> who could be held to that standard? But ne nevertheless... She could handpick her maidservant and give her servant to her husband in hopes that the servant would deliver a boy. That's why it's so specific about Hagar, her maidservant from Egypt. They're very, being very, very specific. 
According to the code, it was the chief wife's prerogative to choose which of her maids would go to her husband. The husband couldn't choose. Now, does this sound like the making of a soap opera to you? I mean, this is, this is probably, but this was the plan. Why, why do you suppose uh, it made sense for the chief wife to, to choose which maid it would be and not the husband? Well, for starters, the first wife or the chief wife's position as the matriarch of the family wouldn't be threatened. If she gets to pick, she can choose, not the husband. She has that a newfound authority that in most of her life she probably didn't have any authority, but she gets to choose, showing that she is the matriarch. Secondly, it was to, divide, uh, to avoid dividing the inheritance. The child born to the maid would immediately, if viable, imagine these days, that was a big question mark for, for weeks if not months, but if the child was viable, that child belonged to the mother and the father. And so the, the surrogate would have no claim on the inheritance. Another stipulation of the code. If the maid conceived a son, she could not elevate herself above the chief wife. If she became conceited, it actually says this in the Caesarean Code, extra biblical material. If she became conceited about her pregnancy, the chief wife had the right to return her to the servant code, or worse, the code even stipulated that she could have that wife branded on her face. Sarai counted on all this going according to plan. She counted on Hagar, her hand-picked Egyptian servant, to follow the culturally acceptable, legally permissible code. She counted on Hagar consenting to this temporary arrangement. But just like surrogate motherhood today, it's not that simple. It doesn't always go according to plan. Something happened to Hagar. This child was her child. She wasn't about to, to let him go. So easily. What seemed logical and straightforward and expedient, legal and an acceptable fix to Sarai, to all of her woes, turns out to be a huge miscalculation on her part. It does sound like a soap opera, doesn't it? Real life. And so it says, Sarai gives Hagar to Abram. It's that technical language of this code of, of the giving of a person, property, from the wife to the husband. Sarah gives Hagar, Hagar has no say in the matter, to Abram, and Hagar conceives with no problem. And when pregnant, the text says that she looked on her mistress with contempt. Hagar has suddenly forgotten her place. And imagine the scene. She's becoming more and more great with child, and so Abram is waiting on her hand and foot. He's giving her all of the attention that was due Sarai. And all the servants are, are running about and caring for her. I imagine she's the, 
the uh, center of attention. Imagine all the servant women coming around her and they're giggling. And as soon as Sarai comes in, shh, oh, here she comes. And Sarai imagines, were they talking behind my back? Are they laughing at me? Hagar has no idea the trouble that's in store for her. Now, there was one more legal stipulation that comes into play. When, when Sarai gave Hagar to Abram, Hagar technically now belonged to Abram. That helps us understand verse 5. Look there with me for just a moment. Look at what Sarai says to her husband. She says, may the wrong done to me be on you. And it sounds like Sarai is now passing the buck from herself. It, this is her fault, right? She set this in motion. She seems to be passing the buck from herself to her husband. But in fact, technically, Hagar is now Abram's property and legal responsibility. And she's saying, uh, Abram, it's up to you to resolve this mess of this dysfunctional family. Now notice what else Sarah says. She says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Now, she best be careful by appealing to God here. Because of her scheming, they've broken the covenant of marriage instituted by God in Genesis 3 and reaffirmed by Jesus Christ. When you cross that line and you break God's law, you best not appeal to God to judge between you and the other person. You must watch what you say. And Sarah is not thinking about the consequences of what she's doing here. Now, look at Abram's response. He is a real winner in the story, isn't he? No backbone at all. He just shrugs and says, do with her as you please. Can you imagine that? Do with her as you please. And so Sarai treats her harshly disgraced this young pregnant woman a foreigner an alien in a strange land runs for her life she runs south to the border and they make no attempt to rescue her there's no attempt by abram and sarah with all of their wealth and all of their prestige and all of their servants and all of the resources at their hands they make no attempt to stop her if not for, for Hagar's sake, for the sake of this unborn child. No, she's off. She's running for the border. Nothing. They don't lift a finger. And then Hagar makes the discovery of her life. She has an encounter with an angel of the Lord who has compassion on her. A woman and an unborn child who aren't part of the stream of history to the, to the promised seed, and yet God sends an angel to this poor, defenseless, zero-identity woman and shows compassion on her. And what's the compassion that God shows to Hagar? Hagar, it's all going to be okay. Hagar, we're going we're to take care of you. What does he say? Go back to your mistress and what? Submit. Does that sound compassionate? <laughs> Go back and submit to her. 
That may not sound compassionate, but that is what the Lord says. Because then the angel makes a promise about her son, that he will be the father of a great nation, and Ishmael will be the father of a great nation. If you continue on in the Old Testament, it's the Ishmaelites who are sworn enemies of the Israelites. I wonder why. And eventually Ishmael is the father of all Arabs throughout the entire world, countless multitudes, just as it says here in Genesis 16. Hagar agrees to go back and submit. But for the rest of her life, Hagar will look upon her son and look upon this moment and remember the Lord visited her in her time of need. The Lord saw me. The Lord cared for me. She gives the Lord a name, El Roy. Literally means, you are the God who sees me. Bear Lahoy Roy means the well of the living one who cares for me. Can you think of, do your, do your ears ring thinking of another scene of a woman in great need where the Lord speaks to her at a well? In her distress, Hagar discovers that God cares. And strengthened in spirit, she returns to Abram and bears him a son. It reminds us that God is never pleased when people are mistreated or abused or taken advantage of. It reminds us that God has compassion on the defenseless, on the unborn, on the orphan, on the overlooked. And so we are given here an example of how we as Christians are to love God the least, and the overlooked. God calls us to mirror his own love for the defenseless. Have you heard of an example of that anytime recently? To defend the overlooked, the unborn, the orphan, the marginalized, as an expression of the love that God has shown to us. This story is also about desperate people in desperate situations making desperate decisions. And it's a warning to us. In times of deep personal pain, in times of of great disappointment when we're waiting for an answer that isn't going to come, a phone to ring that isn't going to ring, we are vulnerable in those times to make a misstep in our faith. Sarai's scheming and and Abram's capitulation prolonged the promise of a son by 14 years. Worse than that, it set in motion a feud, the greatest feud the world has ever known between Jews and Arabs. And going the route of a surrogate mother, literally choosing a substitute to God's will, Abram and Sarai show an enormous lap Lapse of faith. It's a lapse of faith that we know too well, don't we? When I have a lapse in my faith, I can hear the Lord saying, Oh, ye of little faith. When I choose to listen to the fear and the concern and the worry, and Abram and Sarah, like you and me, decide to take matters into their own hands, and they let the end justify the means. Now, in this case, the end was 
was a good end. It was a great end, a child that begins a stream of history by which God will bless the entire world. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ comes not only to save the Jews, but the Arabs and the Gentiles and everyone. That is good news. But the, but the means do not justify, are not justified by the ends. Their lapse, their substituting God's will, was a huge mistake and began when their scheming broke the sacred covenant of marriage. But they justify their actions because it was culturally acceptable and legally permissible. The ends justify the means. Don't we do the same? Christian, brother, sister, don't we do the same? They made decisions based on the way things were in their culture and society, but they've forgotten that we, and we forget, that we live in a broken world. And the way things are, are not the way they're supposed to be. It was legal to own slaves. But it wasn't right. It was legal to have more than one wife. But it wasn't right. It is legal to have an abortion. But it isn't right. It is culturally acceptable And some would say expedient and and pragmatic, and it makes so much sense to get to know one another and save money and make that down payment. Just live together before you get married. But that is not according to God's perfect plan for your life or my life or our children. What Abram and Sarai did, culturally acceptable, fine with all of their neighbors, but their actions crossed the line and backfired as they so often do. Don't we do the same? Don't we do the same? We confessed earlier, we confess Jesus is Lord with our lips, but we deny him with our lifestyle. What's expedient or legal or culturally acceptable might just go against God's redemptive plan for the world. Sarai is impatient with God, and rightly so. Years of trying to conceive, years of the stigma, of the looks, of the questionings behind her back. And then a promise. Her husband comes to her and suddenly has some big come to the Lord moment and says, Honey, guess what? We're supposed to leave everything we know and go to this desert land, and we're going to have a son. And then 10 years go by. How long would you wait? But does our impatience with God say something about our faith? Does it not reveal a mistrust of God? Does it not show to ourselves, not to me or to anyone here, between you and the Lord, but doesn't it show at the end of the day we're doubting that God has a plan? We doubt that God sees our situation, that God really cares. Abram and Sarai need to wait for the Lord. How long? How long do they need to wait? They need to wait up until the point when it is absolutely humanly impossible for Sarai to ever have a child for any 
any legal or cultural anything to help. They have to wait to the point when the promised child can come only by way of a miracle. Final point. Sarai and Abram's misstep began when they stopped praying. When prayer is no longer the natural reflex of our heart, that's when we're going to misstep. That's when we're going to stop trusting the Lord and start trusting ourselves. That's when we stop listening to the voice of God and we start listening to our our own voice of reason. What was the one thing that stood out about Jesus to those who knew him best? It was that he prayed. So much so that his disciples said, Jesus teaches how to pray. It's the only thing in all the Bible that's recorded where Jesus, Jesus, we have the disciples asking him to teach them something. They recognized that the natural reflex of his heart in every situation was to take it to his Father in prayer, to, to know his Father's will and to do his will. And what was God's will? What's God's will for you, for me? What was it for, for Hagar, for Sarai, for Abram? Is everything's going to be okay? What was the... Trust me. Obey. Submit. Go in the direction I am leading you. Friends, we need to see God as Hagar saw God, and as Sarai and Abram eventually see the Lord, as the God who sees you and knows you and cares for you. And we need to know this. There is simply no substitute for God's perfect will unfolding in your life as he's prepared. Wait on God's timing. Don't let the ends justify the means. Test cultural norms by God's word. Test all advice you receive by God's word. Remember that he is Elroy. He's the one who sees and he is the one who cares for his glory and for your eternal good. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a hard message. It's, it strikes home with us. And Lord, I pray that in no way do we feel stigmatized or hurt by my words, but God, that you would call us to yourself, that you know where we've been, you know where we're going. And by grace upon grace, Lord, your will would unfold in our lives. But God, we have to submit to you. We need to trust in the plan you have for us and not in the plans that we've made for ourselves. So God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts now. Lord, we praise you for the Nielsville Walkers and sponsors who will join the church group for the 41st uh, Damascus Crop Walk today. We praise you, God, for the, the resources that will be collected to help those in great need. We pray, Lord, uh, thanksgiving for healing for Joe Harris, Sherry's father. And we pray, Lord, for his complete and full recovery. We're grateful, Lord, for your healing touch upon Joe. Lord God, we pray for your presence and comfort and reassurance with those who are far away from home, those traveling away from home, those working far from home. Lord, we pray for Chuck Allison having uh, his heart condition, his catheterization, 
and pray for strength so that he can return home soon. We pray, Lord, for healing for Jack, uh, for Jack Prince, who's had a blood infection around his heart, God. We pray for his full recovery. And Lord, we pray for Diane, for strength and comfort as she enters hospice care. God, may she know that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. We pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And now the ushers will receive the morning tithes and offerings. May God bless you as you give.